following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. So let's read Genesis 1, starting with verse 26. Uh, Then God said, Let us make man in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was exceedingly good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. Well, let's look at uh, what the Bible teaches about our existence and who we are as beings created by God. Uh, First off, it says in uh, Genesis 26 uh, that uh, up to this point, God has just said, said, God said, God said. Verse 26, it changes and really, as I've shared before, all of creation moves to the climax. And this really is the climax. Day six becomes really the climax. And the creation of man, clearly the pinnacle of God's creative work. And to, one of the things that marks that is this phrase that says, God, God said, let us make man in our image. And the question, the big question is, who are we? You know, let us. Who, who is this plural about? Uh, now, of course, for... For many years, the church, the New Testament, post-Jesus church has assumed this was the Trinity. However, modern scholarship has really kind of questioned this. And uh, one of the first rules of interpretation of the Bible is always to ask, what did it mean to the original reader? When the original people reading the Bible, uh, reading Genesis uh, several thousand years ago, read this, they go, oh, well, clearly that's talking about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe not. In fact, it's, it's unlikely that, that they had a clear concept of the Trinity. And so to interpret it that it means the Trinity is, is, is maybe stretching things a bit. Some have, some have said, well, maybe not the Trinity, but at least has the idea that God is a plurality of being and that the Jews may have understood this idea that God had a pluralness to his being. That's one explanation. Another uh, group of explanations are what's called the plural of majesty, that, uh, that when God says we, it's, it's a way of expressing his glory and majesty. And actually it's interesting, the Thai language uses a, a plurality of majesty. And uh, in scripture, when Jesus speaks, he uses the word we, even though it's first person. He... Uh, and uh, so that's the plurality of majesty. It's common in language. The only problem with that example is there's no other examples of it in Hebrew. 
So although there's good examples in Thai, there's not good examples in Hebrew, so that's a bit of a problem. Okay, uh, another explanation would be that God is actually addressing heaven's court. That uh, the scene is in heaven, God is surrounded by the angels, and uh, before he just said, let there be light, and there was light, but now he, he addresses more and includes the angelic host, and he says, okay, let us make man in our image. Uh, there is some evidence or support of this in, um, in, the, in the day that the gods lived in this court, and um, the, 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 the Jews may have understood God standing in this court. Uh, the problem with this view is that there's really no evidence that that's exactly what the Jews would have understood either. And it creates some interesting problems about what it means to be made in the image of God. If it's an image shared with angels, what does exactly that mean? So, so the bottom line is, uh, all these explanations, none of them really actually work so well. And I don't personally like any of them. Uh, and most of the scholars don't either. So we don't really know what it means or why it's there. But the, the truth, but there is some truth in this, in that even though the original audience may not have understood it this way, certainly the Trinity was active in creation and uh, most focused on the creation of man. Uh, it's also true that God is majestic, and so any language that speaks of the majesty of God would be appropriate. It's also true that God, uh, as he created... Uh, and announce these things to the heavenly host, the heavenly host would have been especially mindful and interested in the creation of man. Uh, that when God said, I'm making this unique creature in my image, that would have grabbed their attention. So you can take your pick, whatever one rocks your boat, go for it. Uh, the significant or main point of it all uh, is that uh, in this verse, it shows that God is exercising a degree of self-reflection. Okay, God is dialoguing either with angels or with himself or within the Trinity. He is dialoguing and, and discussing this very special creation. He says, let us make man, let's not just create it, but let us make man after a certain pattern and design. And let that pattern and design be, be us, be the divine nature, okay? So the first time in creation you see God uh, not just speaking and decreeing, but thinking and reflecting and imagining what man is going to be like. And that's kind of the picture that's described there. And he says that uh, what he wants to make man the pattern or the, uh, the focus of creation is going to be that man will be made in God's image and likeness. Now, if, the, if theologians have a hard time with the idea of being made, um, being, being made with this idea of let us make, the idea of being made in God's image is even more complicated and difficult. Uh, what is God's image in us? What exactly does that mean? What is it describing? Um, God has in some way fashioned and created us to be in some way like him. Now, we know that God is spirit, so you can rule out right away that we look like God uh, physically. Okay, that God, you know, also evolved from a monkey. Okay, that, that's not true. There's nothing about us that uh, corresponds physically. So what is it that makes us like God? Well, there's lots of explanations on this one as well, and I won't go through them all. Let me just survey real briefly. 
Often, the image of God is, is defined in terms of character traits or things that, uh, that, are, that we see in God that we also seem to have in ourselves. So things like our moral or ethical capacity, uh, our spiritual or intellectual faculties, things like personality, reason, free will, self-consciousness, uh, even emotions. Uh, psychologists have come up with all kinds of interesting psychological explanations of the, uh, the image of God in us. All of these probably... Uh, focus all these do focus on attributes or qualities that we share that we see in God. Okay, so God's loving, we're loving, maybe that's it. Um, God's smart, we're smart, maybe, and so there must be some connection, right? God's a spiritual being, we're a spiritual being, so that's the focus of those. Um, the problem with these, I, all of these may contain some truth. But the problem, if we, if we pin any one of these things with the image of God, it, it probably has the result of limiting what the image of God is. Okay, so if we say it's our free will, that may be one part of it, but it doesn't really express all that may be true about God's image in us. Um, the, another difficult difficulty in really uh, defining this is that Scripture doesn't ever define it. Certainly in Genesis 1, it doesn't say anything about what that image is. It just says, well, you're created in God's image. In God's image, you're made, period. Uh, as we look throughout the Old Testament, no real clear explanation of it. Even in the New Testament, it's not unfolded or unpacked in any way. Uh, the Bible doesn't give us a clear definition of what God's image in us is. Uh, we can look at how the word image is used in other contexts, and this is what we get. Most frequently, you'll like this one. Most frequently, the word image is used to talk about idols. Okay, <laughs> that helps, right? Uh, we're just little idols of God. Um, well, if we understand, and of course for us, it's, this is probably kind of scary actually and, and unsettling uh, because we don't really understand what idols are. But to give you a little background of how people original readers of this would have understood an idol, it would, it would, they would understand it like this. Um, and, and this may help us even understand kind of in the, in the Buddhist context how they may view and see idols as they go to spirit houses, go to the temples, worship. Um, no, nobody who worships idols believes that the idol itself is a god. Okay? So when they bow down to a golden calf, Nobody assumes that the golden calf is the God. Okay, they didn't believe that. They were smarter than that. Uh, but they did believe that the calf, or the, whatever the idol is, that it is an image. It represents in some way the God who's in the heavens. And that a good idol, versus a defective one, a good idol in some way has some essence of the God in it. Okay, so when you bow to it, there is, in some sense, the essence or the presence of God there, that there is a unity between the idol and the God it represents. So when you worship, when you offer sacrifices or offerings before this image, uh, it stands as a representative of the God you're worshiping. And in some way, it, it resembles or has an essence of the God in it. Now, they, that didn't mean that they thought if they worshiped the cow, that the God looked like a cow. Okay, uh, 
it, it was more, much more symbolic than that. Uh, they would create a cow or a bull because a bull represented power, strength, might, right? And those were attributes uh, represented in the bull uh, that explained the god they were worshiping, okay? Now, when you put some of that together, it makes a little bit of sense how this works in us. Uh, if we are images of God, we don't necessarily look like God. Uh, we're not made necessarily after his physical likeness or appearance. But there is something of the essence of God in us. There is something about us that represents something of God in heaven here on earth. So that may help us uh, understand the concept a little. The word is also used, not, uh, not so much in Scripture, but outside of Scripture during this time period, uh, of kings. And kings were believed to be images of the gods. And so you see Pharaoh, he is like a god. You see the kings and rulers of that day being like a god. Even to this day, uh, sometimes kings in Asian cultures are almost godlike, right? Well, nobody believes that they are the sovereign, all-powerful god, but they had the sense that, well, they were patterned after the God, and they have something of the God's essence and power in them. And so they rule as representatives of the God, the God who sent them or who made them. Right? So they are created in the image of God. They bear something of the God's nature and essence, power and right to rule. So the king has authority to rule because they are the representative of this God in heaven. Well, those kind of things help us at least get a, a broad concept of what being created in God's image is. And it's interesting that um, in, in Genesis 1, God says, you'll be created in God's image. The very next sentence is, and you will rule over the earth. There is a sense that being created in God's image, we are his representatives here on earth as rulers and kings who govern in his place. Um, we, in some sense possess something of the essence and nature of God. Now, if you're, you know, our, our scientific minds, our analytic minds, if you're the kind of person who loves to take apart, you know, lawnmowers to figure out how it works, okay, we, we want to know exactly what it is, right? And theologians and, and really smart people, you know, they want to they nail this down. Okay, what exactly is God's image? And I would suggest this. D don't go there, Okay. Don't go there. Leave it at this, that God is a God of great mystery, wonder, and He is in His being incomprehensible. Okay, We can't explain all that God is. And we can't figure out all that God is. And therefore, to be made in His likeness and image, there's going to be things about us that are inexplainable. Okay, We're not going to be able to nail down and figure out perfectly how we are like God. And in any effort we we uh, go at to try to do that, in the end it's going to limit what God's image in us is. Okay? It's going to diminish that image and it's gonna, what it's going to do is it's going to make God like us, not make us like God. Okay? So that's an important difference, an important distinction. We were created in the image of something that's incomprehensible, that's infinite, that's beyond our full grasp and understanding. I think it's good to leave it there. I think it's good to know that there is something about us that is majestic and grand and mysterious. 
that we are not in any way like a monkey who can make coffee. All right? There is something about us that can't be completely dissected, analyzed, and figured out. Okay? As much as psychologists and biologists and scientists and doctors try to explain our being, being made in God's, God's image means there is a lot about our being that we will never fully know. But it, we, we do know this, that the pattern of our existence, what it means to be human, is to share something that's core and essential with the very being of God. Okay? Now, of course, it, just like with a, a graven image, an idol, it's not the God. It's not all of the God. In the same way, we're not equal to God. And being made in His image no way implies our equality with Him in every respect. But it does give us the sense that there is something about us that corresponds to the likeness and image of God. Um, we are His representatives on earth. And as we'll see in a moment, as such, we have right to rule the earth as kings and queens. Okay, we have a place and position in all of creation that is superior to everything else. We are better than the snails. Hallelujah. Okay, in case you were worried about that. Okay, scripture makes it clear. We are above everything. We are created uniquely as the supreme pinnacle of God's creation. And we alone bear something in our being that is God-like, that reflects His being. Now, while we can't explain, and it's, I think, a waste of time to define what the image of God is, we can talk about what it means. What does it mean for you and I to be created in the image of God? Uh, what is it about this truth that should change your life and give you a different perspective about who you are? Well, I think that ultimately it means this, that we are a child of God. We are created and exist as a child of God. And we, because we are made something like Him, we have the capacity to belong to Him in a unique and special way as a child. Um, the New Testament talks frequently about our adoption as, as children of God. Uh, the only reason that's possible is because we have been created in God's image. Uh, you know, in our crazy kind of confused world where people think we're monkeys... You know, the big thing now, people like adopt animals. It's like adopt a horse, adopt a, you know, this, that, adopt your dog. And I know some of you are severe, not severe, who are uh, serious animal lovers will swear that your dog or your cat is part of your family, right? And you love this creature, and, and certainly God gave us these creatures, so I, I don't want to, you know, diss your dog. However... Adopting a dog is nothing like adopting a child. Okay, are we clear on that? I know people bury their dogs in animal cemeteries and all that stuff. However, there is a difference when we adopt a child, a human being, who's not our own, but we adopt as our own because they correspond to our nature. Right? They may not be like us. They, they, may, they not, may not have a genetic link as our, our biological child. But when we adopt a, a child, they do become ours. And having gone through that process, I, uh, I have a heart for that, of what that means to make somebody who wasn't part of your family part of your family. 
uh, and they become, because they correspond in nature, they do become yours in a very special and unique way. Well, to be made in God's image means that we have the capacity to be connected to the Father as His child in a very unique and special way. It means that we can, uh, we can be full members of His family. And, and in fact, Romans 8.29 says that it was God's purpose to predestine us to be conformed to the image of His Son so that He, that is Jesus, would be firstborn among many brothers. The idea is there that we have been adopted by God to be conformed, to be made into the image of Jesus, same, same Greek word that's the equivalent of the Hebrew word used in Genesis 1, icon, so that we would be part of God's family, brothers with Jesus, okay, on the same plane and likeness of Jesus himself, which means we enter into a relationship with God exactly like Jesus does, okay, as a father. God is not for us some strange and foreign being who in no way corresponds to us. He is like us and that we are made like Him. And so it means that we can have a kind of fellowship and relationship with God that is, that is unique and special. And here's the principle. Um, to be in close, intimate relationship with someone, you have to have a corresponding nature. All right? uh, to illustrate this, just recently, I was uh, at, a, at a missions conference and um, was with a bunch of people from uh, Western countries. And I realized that I'm becoming a TCP. Now, we all know what TCKs are, right? Third culture kids. I realized I'm becoming a TCP, a third culture person. And the way the, the I knew that is that these, uh, these people who are here visiting from Western countries were talking about all kinds of stuff, TV shows and things that are part of their world, I had no idea what they were talking about. Okay, they're talking about stuff, and they might as well have been talking a different language. And uh, they wanted to get together and talk, and all they could do is talk about these dumb TV shows I don't know anything about. Uh, maybe they're good TV shows, I don't know. And I just realized, you know, I couldn't have a conversation with these people because I don't speak their language, right? I don't correspond enough to where they're coming from. Well, as you all know, if you want to have a close friend, if you want to have somebody you have a heart-to-heart relationship with, it means you have to have a lot in common. You have to have a corresponding nature, right? And when you click, have, have you, does anybody have a friend like that where you just click, you just fit? Anybody have a friend like that? Okay, some of you need friends, right? That's just all there is to it. You need to find somebody like that. We all do, Right? The cool thing is that God wants to be that kind of friend. God, The God of the universe who made us, made us so that we could connect with Him at that kind of level. Isn't that incredible? Incredible. God longs and desires for us to have that kind of fellowship and communion with Him. And He made us with the capacity for that kind of connection. Now, you know, we kind of take, maybe, maybe we take that all for granted. Maybe we don't really think about it. But it's an amazing gift. You know, your dog probably doesn't pray a lot, okay? Now, there is something about your dog that worships God. All of creation worships God. But, you know, his relationship with God, for, for that matter, his relationship with you is quite limited. 
You know, if you're having a hard day, you can go ahead and talk to your dog and explain to him all your problems. But he's not going to say, you know, I know how you feel. And let, let me know, I, let me tell you that I'm, my, I am with you on this one, right? Okay, he just wags his tail, sticks his tongue out, slobbers all over you, and you feel better because he looks like he cares, right? He doesn't care. He just is hungry. And he's hoping you'll feed him. All right? That's all. Okay? God's created us not just to be his golden retriever, okay, who wags his tail and, you know, and makes God feel good. He wants real relationship with us. He created us for real relationship. The deepest, most significant kind of relationship possible between any two beings. Okay? So the deepest, closest, personal, intimate relationship you have with any other human being ought to be just a fraction of the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. Okay? He wants significant, deep, personal relationship with you. That's why we were made in His image. What that means is, that is, the, that is the grand purpose of our life. Why were we created? Well, we were created as image ultimately to be in relationship with Him. That is what life is. Okay, what our life ought to be about more than anything else is being in relationship with the Father as His child. That is our existence. The, the sad reality is that for most people, Christian otherwise, being in relationship with God is such a small, minor part of their life. Which means we're living most of our life outside of the design God created us for. Now God did create us, and we'll see the next part of it, God did create us for to rule and govern this world. There is responsibility and there is duty that we have in this world. But that's not the main thing. It's, it's the secondary thing. The main thing ought to be being in relationship with God which means the consuming, driving thing in our life ought to be communion and fellowship with God, walking with Him, knowing, with, knowing Him. Now you might say, well, you know, I've tried this whole thing and it's hard because I go to God and in prayer, and the reality is we don't have a lot to talk about. Okay? Now some people can just talk and talk forever and they talk God's ear off, but I don't know if it's relationship, right? If God's like interacting. And I, in my own life, my own experience, I go to God and I want to have this this intimate, you know, two-way relationship. And the truth is, it's, well, you, know, you know the feeling when you, you, you're, you're trying to talk to somebody who you have nothing in common with, and there's like those long periods of silence where neither one of you says anything, and it's kind of just real uncomfortable and weird, right? Well, it's like my prayer life most of the time. It's just awkward and weird because though I am created in God's image, my, that image has moved far from where it originally started, Right? And the reality is we need to work at bringing that corresponding nature back into alignment with God. Okay, we need to fill our minds with His thoughts. We need to gain and grow so that our, thought is his, our, our heart is His heart. So we are burdened and love the things that He loves. You see, to the degree that we have a corresponding nature with the Father, we will have greater and deeper communion and fellowship. To the degree that we are still connected too much with this world and too far removed from His nature, our relationship with Him will be strained and difficult. Okay, So that's why a lot of the New Testament is about bringing our nature back in line with God's nature, becoming holy people, 
You know I mean, people who have his heart and his mind and his thoughts, right? Because that's the basis of our relationship and our fellowship. So the question is, are we growing uh, in the likeness of his image? Are we daily working at corresponding more and more to the likeness of God? Not just so that we can be like him, but so that we can fulfill our purpose of being in relationship with him. Okay, so that's what it means to be made in God's image, and it's who we are. Secondly, we do have a job. We have been given a duty and a responsibility. It says God uh, created them in His image, and He said in verse 27... Uh, let's make man in our image to be like us. They will rule over the fish of the sea and the birds and the livestock and every living thing. So God created them in His image. And in the image of God, He created them. God blessed them and, and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth and rule over it. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we have been put on this earth as kings. Bottom line. Kings and queens. We are not just part of the food chain. We're not even just the top of the food chain. We are rulers of the food chain. right? We've been given the, the call to rule over the earth, to govern it, to manage it. Okay. Now, this kingship, now we like the idea of being king. Um, we, all, we all want to be king of our own universe. And uh, I like being king of my universe. However, this, king, this kingship comes with responsibility. And you know, back in the day when the world was ruled by kings, people understood that the king took care of its subjects. Right? So there is a stewardship here. And it's not our world. We're kings, but we're not owners. We're given a stewardship by God to be managers of this world. And much as God brought order to the world by managing it, by bringing structure and order, so we are commissioned by God as rulers to rule and, and have dominion and to subdue the earth. And that means we, we bring it under control. We manage it. Okay? So like in my personal private universe, it looks something like this. Um, you know, Tim said, let the ground outside the house be divided from the ground inside the house. And it was so. And Tim called the land outside the house yard. And he called the land inside the house floor. And Tim saw that it was good. Okay, and Tim said, uh, let all the bugs and creeping things that live in the land, uh, I'm sorry, let, let all the bugs and creeping things live in the land called yard, but they shall not live inside on the land called floor. Okay, and Tim bought cans of bug spray, and he killed all the creepy crawly things that roamed on the floor. And he saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the bug-free day. Okay. okay, that's exercising dominion. Okay, okay. There are boundaries. There are rules. There's order. There are places for bugs. There's places for flowers. There's places for weeds, right? But not in the garden. Uh, there's places for animals. See, in my universe, the same rule goes for like larger animals, dogs and cats. They 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 live outside. Now, in your world, maybe you have different rules. And as king, you can have different rules. But we exercise dominion. See, that's the point. The, the world is ours to rule over. And it is ours to use. We have the right to use the resources that God's given us. We have the right to develop and expand and create as God did. 
It's ours to use. It's ours to govern. It's ours to manage. Uh, it's, it's God's blessing to us. Uh, this also teaches us that, that, that humans all have worth and dignity. Okay, every human being is a king or a queen. Okay, look around you. The person sitting next to you is a king or a queen. Okay, is royalty. Okay, you're sitting in the midst of royalty. Every human being, young, regardless of age, regardless of male, female, regardless of uh, how smart or, or not smart, regardless of how rich or poor, what language, what tribe, what ethnicity, every human being is royalty. Okay, they have dignity and worth. And uh, this implies that we ought to treat each other uh, as, as royal agents, as those created in God's image, as rulers of the earth. And we need to treat every human being with respect and dignity. Okay, That doesn't mean just important people. We need to work extra hard at those that society puts on the bottom, uh, treating them with respect and dignity and worth. Uh, last principle... Uh, and, and again, our stewardship, I, I, I want to develop this. Uh, we ought to be good stewards, okay? And, and I could preach a whole sermon on being, you know, good tree huggers and, you know, environmentalists, and, and uh, that's important. We need to be good stewards of creation, okay? And not take, not waste it, not abuse it. Uh, we are to be a blessing to the earth as the earth is to be a blessing to us. Let me finish with the last point. Uh, bless to multiply. He said, God bless them. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Govern it. Reign over it. Look, I've given you every seed bearing plant for food throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food, and I've given green plants for all the wild animals. Um, last part of our commission, we, we, we are created in God's image. We're given the call to rule over the earth, and we're given the command to fill it. Okay. Now, of all God's commands, this is one we've actually done quite well. Okay. We haven't had a problem with this one. And, uh, you know, uh, humanity has, has taken this call very seriously. In fact, it's kind of interesting when you look at the numbers. In the time of Christ, they, they estimate there were about 200 million people in the world. Okay. It took 1,500 years for that to double. So in about the 15th century, there were 400 million. Uh, 300 more years went by um, for that to double again uh, twice. Okay, so 300 years, it went from 500 million uh, it, to the 1900s, turn of the last century, there were 2 billion. Okay, the interesting thing is in 1946, there were 2.5 billion people in the world. In just 40 years, it doubled. Okay, so 1,500 years to double the first time from the time of Christ to double. We did it, you know, from, from World War II to 1986 in 40 years. Okay, so we've got this down. Way to go. Give yourselves a hand for multiplying. Okay, uh, according to recent, the, the U.S. Census Bureau, as of May 2010, there are how many people in the world? Who has a guess? How many people in the world today? 6.5 close. 6.8 billion. 6.8 billion. Man, we are cruising. Okay, good job. Okay, and the, the, the moral of the story is anything that involves sex is bound to be successful. Okay, that's, God was brilliant in this one. He had this one figured out. Um, 
the question comes up, should we keep on should we keep on this one, right? Okay, we've done pretty well at this rate, you know, a lot of environmentalists tell us we're going to we're going to overfill the earth and we're going to all starve to death. Um, well, God promised his abundant provision. And he said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you enough food. Uh, should we keep multiplying at the present rate? I don't know. Uh, it would seem that there ought to be some good sense in this. Um, the, the principle is, though, that God gave us the privilege, and it is a blessing to have children. Uh, one, of the, one of the issues is that in, in early mythology, that the, during the time of, of the writing of Genesis, the general trend was that the gods created people in order to supply them with food. The gods had gotten in trouble, the gods had been fighting, and uh, one of the punishments is the gods got sentenced to kind of look after earth, and they were hungry a lot, and so they thought, well, this is dumb. Why are we out farming? Let's create people, and they'll be like our slaves, and they'll make us food. And, of course, we see this to this day. Uh, people who worship idols, worship gods, what do they do every day? Well, they give them food because gods get hungry, and it's our job to feed them. And uh, apparently gods like Coke, right, because I've seen a lot of Coke. And so if you, you need to feed your god, they drink Coke, okay? Uh, God, God turns that around. And he says, look, this, and, and of course a lot of what this is about also is a lot of the fertility rites and fertility cults, okay, that, that, that you had to appease the gods so they would bless you and make you fertile. Well, this is a strike against all of that. God's saying, look, I have blessed you. I have given human beings the ability to reproduce. You don't have to do fertility rights, fertility cults. You don't have to appease the gods. You don't have to feed them. I have created you in my image as the pinnacle of my creation, and I am your abundant provision and supply. Whether there's a billion people in the world or five billion or ten billion, God has promised to be our provider and sustainer. Okay? Now, whether or not we ought to you know, put the brakes on or whatever, we'll let each person decide before God. Okay? You don't, let's say this, though. You don't have to have ten children. Okay? You're still in God's will if you only have like one or two or you know, choose not to have children and adopt or whatever. Okay? It's a blessing and gift of God. And the point is, God has given us this gift. Let me say one thing by way of applying this principle. Uh, the multiplication principle. Uh, God did not say to Adam, you know, Adam, Eve, um, I want you personally to fill the earth, okay? I estimate we can do a good 10 billion, you better get to work, okay? Uh, that's not the principle. God said, I want you to grow by multiplication. Adam and Eve, you can have a few kids, you, ra- you make babies, you raise them up, you teach them, you, you bring them to maturity, and you send them loose to go make their own babies, right? And then they raise up to maturity a new batch that go out and make babies, right? Only way to fill the earth. Okay, it's not a job Adam and Eve could do personally, okay? Um, now, we all know that, and it's obvious. However, I want to just apply that in, as we wrap things up to our spiritual life. God has called us and commanded us to be reproducing spiritually. Right? Um, we're not doing so well on the spiritual side reproducing. 
Okay, we are not yet filling the earth. We're, we're moving forward, but we're not yet filling the earth. Uh, and the principle is this. Uh, a lot of us are in ministry. All of, all of us should be. If you're a believer and follower in Christ, you are called to ministry. You are called to be making disciples, to be extending God's kingdom. All right? And we do that for, through various kinds of ministry. We do that by doing and investing in people's lives. But what I've observed is that often we have the, the mindset that we will grow the kingdom through our own personal ministry, uh, through the ministry of addition, in other words. So I'm going to do my part to raise up disciples and disciple them, and when I finish that batch, I'm going to go raise up some more disciples, and I personally am going to fill the earth. Okay? And each of us has a job to add our own disciples. Uh, but the principle that God gives us here, and it's true for biologically, but I believe it's also true spiritually, God calls us to be filling the earth with his kingdom by multiplying ministry, which means this. It means, first of all, you ought to be doing ministry. You ought to be doing something to impact somebody else's life. You need to be making spiritual babies. Okay? You need to be bringing people into God's kingdom and nurturing and raising them up uh, into maturity in Christ. Okay? But that's only half of your job. Your real job is to send them out to reproduce. All right? Your job is not, and, and here's what I see, too often in ministry, ministry gets focused around us personally, and, and the extent, full extent of our ministry is what we can do personally. Right? We've not done a good job, as a general rule, multiplying. Right? God said, go be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. The only way we're going to fill the earth is if we learn the principle of nurturing and raising up people and sending them out to duplicate what we do. All right? We need to be duplicating what we do. So here's the deal. If you, if, you, if you don't have a second and third and fourth generation of yourself in ministry, okay, you need to get to work. Okay, you need to get with the program. All right? Because that's the only way we're going to effectively extend God's kingdom. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't do ministry. You need to be ministering to people. Okay? But part of that ministry is sending others out to do it. Uh, you all know about Joshua and the Lahu Living Word Ministry. And when Joshua came, we started working with Joshua. He was doing a great job with personal ministry. And he had written the correspondence course and had about 70 people involved. And we said, okay, Joshua, how are we going to take this to the next level? How can we multiply that ministry? And Joshua understood and he grabbed hold of it. And he started multiplying by raising up other leaders and sending them out uh, to duplicate what he was doing. So now instead of having 70 people in the correspondence course, we have 2,000. Okay? There's no way Joshua could do that by himself. It's been effective because he's multiplied ministry. I want to encourage you, uh, be a multiplier of ministry. Um, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you so much that you have made us in your image. And uh, most importantly... We are made to be in communion and fellowship and relationship with you. And Lord, this really ought to be the, the dominating theme of our life, that we are people who continually and constantly are in fellowship and communion with you, who are loving you, who are worshiping you, who are uh, in, in dialogue with you,
who hear Your voice speaking to us and who know how to pour out our hearts to You in praise and worship and prayer and petition. Uh, Lord, may this be what defines us as beings created in Your image through the blood and power of the cross being conformed more and more to the image and likeness of Your Son. Lord, make that uh, the driving force of our life. And out of that, Lord, we pray that we would be faithful stewards of all that you've put in our care. And most of all, Lord, for the spiritual charge of raising up uh, new believers in Christ, of raising up uh, baby Christians who we grow into maturity. Uh, And Lord, let it not end there, but let it be multiplied over and over again so that we have not only physical offspring someday and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, but Lord, let this be our heritage spiritually that all of us would long for and, and, and strive to produce many generations of followers of Christ through our labor, through our service, through the work of the Holy Spirit ministering in us and through us. Uh, Lord, that's what it means to be human. That's what it, uh, it means to be made in your image. Lord, let this be what guides us daily in our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.